Like I have one student who was there on Monday and then stayed home on Tuesday. Like he's like, it's all the worst things about online and all the worst things about school, right? It's like The casual interactions, like when you walk by someone in the hall and you say hi, you wave, you high five, like those are the little things that they're missing that makes them feel like they're a part of a community. For every one negative thing that each school district has going on, for, for every one negative we have going on, we've got a ton of positives. And just reminding our staff of, look at all these positive things we got going on. You know, is remote learning going to be perfect? Probably not. Is, you know, is it uncomfortable to wear face coverings? Yes, it is. But look at all the positive things we could, we've got going on this year with our kids and with our staff. Oh, uh, there has been a, a tremendous amount of change. Three engineering teachers and a superintendent in different parts of the country answer the question, how is school reopening going? Listen to their answers next on the K-12 Engineering Education Podcast. I'm Pius Wong in Austin, Texas. Schools are back in session this fall 2020 all over the USA even though COVID is still in session too. To get a better idea of how schools are able to teach students, especially in subjects like engineering, while keeping students safe, I spoke to a few folks. I'm Audrey Moyers, and I teach at McCallum High School in Austin, Texas. Ms. Audrey Moyers and I are in the same town, so I was able to meet her at her high school, but socially distanced, outside in the courtyard. So the the status is we had um, four weeks of all online. So teachers were home and kids were home. And then we just started, this was our first week of kids can come to campus. Uh, We originally had, I think these numbers are correct, about 240. So maybe 15% of our our student body chose, but they didn't all show up. We had about 50 show up on the Monday, Tuesday group and 50 on the Wednesday, Thursday group. So we should have had about 120 each one. You know, I think they figured out that it wasn't like regular school. Like they weren't gonna go from class to class Mm -hmm. and have passing periods and eat lunch where they wanted to. They really are, we call them learning groups. And so the students are assigned to a room for the day. They're still doing online, but they're just in there with a teacher. They go outside a little bit, but it's it's very much, and we kind of compare it to like those star testing days where you're like in the testing room all day. Gosh, you know? that's not a, it doesn't sound like a great environment. It's not. And so I, okay. I, I did my learning group on Monday and Tuesday afternoon. So I'm teaching with my mask on and my headset to my students in someone else's room yeah. while the students are got their headphones and their, you know, masks and yeah. they're, they're looking at their computers doing their work. And it was, they were completely silent all day. They barely got up, you know, it was, it was, a, it's surreal. It's, it's, it's very surreal. Audria says in her 20 years of experience teaching engineering and tech, all this is new. Her campus, like others in Austin Independent School District, is doing a combination of online classes and up to a quarter of students physically in school at the moment. But this is not the only model for reopening. So my name is Melanie Kong, and I teach high school STEM up in Seattle, Washington, Redmond area. And the courses that I teach have to do with engineering and entrepreneurship. Before the pandemic, Ms. Melanie Kong was helping her students go outside their school to create business ideas and use engineering to meet the needs of real customers in the community. 
And now? So we are totally remote in um, Seattle area, and we have been since March. So I've kind of seen what wrapping up the STEM startups world has been like. That's the name of my course, STEM startups. And I'm kind of lucky in the sense that a lot of my work can happen remotely, like the work of starting startups authentically happens remotely in the real world. So my job has been more focused towards like helping students understand how do remote startups work? In general, I've had to be super intentional and structured about the way that I'm asking students to learn and to deliver their milestones in a way that during real class, or sorry, not real class, regular school, in-person school, I was able just to walk around the room and coach them as I went. And I'm realizing how much of my instruction was based on that like observational, in-the-moment kind of coaching, whereas now I'm feeling disconnected from my students, and it's hard for me to intervene when they need help. So I've just had to be really, really intentional about setting up instructions very clearly, setting up deliverables so people know what expectations are before they happen, and spending as much time as possible during the synchronous class times on, on hearing how they're doing, getting feedback, and being able to do that, that small group coaching. While Melanie's school is completely online to mitigate COVID risk, and Audrey's school is mostly online, although that's still in flux, others have already gotten mostly in-person classes going. Take Mr. Teddy Clevenger who is the superintendent of Bartlett Independent School District, a small rural district in central Texas. I am, uh, was, was born and raised in this area, in the Temple area, went to Rogers High School, graduated from Rogers. So this is kind of, kind of hometown for me. Um, Rogers is about 15 or 20 minutes from Bartlett. Teddy tells me that around Bartlett ISD, community is big. Uh, We have a lot of family and support around here. We're just, my family and I, we're, we've got two sons that go to school here. One's in the seventh grade, one's in the second grade, two boys. We're just very blessed and fortunate to, to be in Bartlett and to uh, just be in this family environment. Teddy's district delayed school so they could better prepare for more in-person classes. Our original calendar was August the 17th start date. Um, our local health authority did say that they wanted to buy us a little bit more time and because of that, all Bell County schools pushed their start date till, till September the 8th. We could have started remote learning on, on August the 17th, but we did not want to put that burden back on parents. And we wanted to give parents that option to go remote or face-to-face. And that is why we pushed it till September the 8th. Um, and that way, you know, parents had a choice. You know, you can either bring your kids to school um, or you can, we can do remote learning with your students, with your children. You know, we're, we're about at 8% remote learning right now. Um, and what we're finding is parents are seeing that we are safe. We're, we're not just having this huge outbreak, um, which is what people feared. Um, and, you know, we're safe. We're washing hands. We're wearing face coverings. And we've been very fortunate to not have, um, you know, any cases of COVID-19 in our school. We've just been very blessed. And, and like I said, we're able to control those variables. You know, if anybody has a symptom, we're going to send them home and uh, pending a test result, that kind of thing. And we've just been exercising an an abundance of caution, exercising an abundance of caution, plus all the measures we're taking um, has really just helped us out. And it's really built the confidence up of our community um, about sending their children to school. And so you'll see at the end of the nine weeks that we'll probably get most of our kids back. Probably we'll still have a few remote learners, 
but for the most part, I think we'll all be here. Let's also hear a teacher's perspective on teaching mostly in-person classes today. My name is Amy Morris. I teach at an all-girls Catholic school on the West Bank of New Orleans. I teach engineering, robotics, physics, and physical science, and I am also the robotics mentor and coach. After last spring's experience teaching all online, like many other schools, Amy's school opened up to in-person classes this fall, in stages. When we returned this school year, uh, we came back in cohorts originally, so we would have two to three grades on campus on a given day, and the other grades would be at home working asynchronously on assignments that we had provided. So we would see each student two times a week in person, one time a week via Zoom, and then they would have two days a week that they were working on their own asynchronously at home. Over the course of the last few weeks, we have increased the amount of time that we're seeing students in person to the point where now we have all five grades in our school meeting every day together four out of the five days, and then we have Wednesday in the middle as a Zoom day, uh, which allows for cleaning of the campus and and just a little bit of break. And I think that makes it easier for uh, sort of backtracking in case we do have any cases that arise with students contracting COVID. Just like Teddy Clevenger's public school district, Amy's private school in New Orleans hasn't seen any COVID outbreak so far. And not just because of luck. Amy credits many safety measures for this and getting buy-in for those safety measures from the parents and families of the students at her school. They have been very accommodating to our requirements that students mask all day, every day. And we start each class with sanitizing or washing of hands and prayer. We have paths throughout the school so that we don't have students passing each other in the hallways. Everything is one-way motion. In the science labs, we don't have quite enough room to spread out the desks, but we have plexiglass barriers between students. And so I feel like we've been able to control our environment fairly well, and that has enabled us to, to come back safely. Superintendent Teddy Clevenger agrees. We try to stay 12 students to one teacher. We are able to control the variables a little bit more, being that we're a smaller school district. Um, And so that we can spread out six foot, we can socially distance. We've implemented district-wide face coverings, pre-K through 12th grade. I really think that's kept us healthy this year. Um, We advertise that, you know, we're teaching kids each nine weeks. We, We teach them how to wash their hands properly and why it's so important to wear PPE. And so those things, like hand washing stations for the playground, we're putting those in. Physical safety comes down to a litany of new guidelines in social distancing, hygiene, and education. Schools are operating differently for safety right now. That means teachers are teaching differently too. First, how is teaching online different from how it was before? Yeah, so much. I am missing out so much on the group collaboration aspects in person. That's Melanie again, who's all online in Washington with her startups class. Students often haven't even developed the skills of working together in groups in person. And it's hard to build on those skills to translate into a remote environment when they're still working on the basics. 
So there's so many things that get lost in remote collaboration, like in little things too, like students don't think about, oh, how do I get in touch with this person outside of class? Like they don't, you know, like we have to structure even how they exchange contact information because we can't trust mm -hmm. the whole channels because students aren't checking them all the time. So it's especially like the in-person group work, I really, really miss. I miss being able to send students out to like interview real people in person doing this all virtually or remotely like kind of makes it easier for them where like sometimes they don't even turn on their cameras where they don't need to like have to facilitate the conversation feels a little bit less connected I suppose in a virtual mm -hmm. environment and I feel I feel like I'm not able to push my students as much with forming genuine connections with people in this remote environment and I miss the kinds of solutions that we can be we can be going after because students really like physical building and I want to be able to support that. In the past, we've been able to like students have been able to prototype physical products and come up with physical solutions. But I know that students are feeling really restricted in the kinds of solutions they can provide. So it kind of pushes them towards like apps and that kind of thing, which aren't always the most exciting solutions for students to be working on and they're not always the best solutions for their customers but I feel like students feel pushed into thinking of purely remote or virtual solutions because they're stuck in this environment. Melanie is tapping into a pervasive theme that all the educators said about how hard it is to really reach and motivate each student online. So, the main problem teaching online this fall isn't even access to technology anymore, at least not as much. Audrey's urban district supplied technology to its families since last spring when COVID hit. Teddy's rural district already had one-to-one -one Chromebooks for several of their grades before COVID. And after COVID started, Teddy had stories like this. You know, our city did, did something really, really cool this, this last week and was able to help us pay for those laptops and hotspot devices. And they contributed uh, a good chunk of their CARES Act money so that it could be locally matched by TEA so that we could, you know, afford to pay for all those laptops and hotspot devices. So we were very fortunate for them to do that as well. The online technology situation is better. And the difficulties with teaching online run deeper than technological equity. Audria in Austin paints the picture. What I miss is just that walking around and you can glance over their shoulders, you can redirect if they're heading off in the wrong direction, even if they don't ask questions, you can tell if they need help. And so those in-between moments of teaching are, are very hard online. I definitely have some students that are falling through the cracks on online learning, but I have no idea why. Um, so three of my classes are students that are new to me, and I feel like the percentage not doing well is not that different from, from in-person, but the difference is I have no idea why they're not doing well. So in-person, you know, I know it's like, oh, they're always on their phone, you know, and they're distracted, or they just don't turn into work, but they're doing it. Mm -hmm. or 
that they don't understand when it's online and they're in a Zoom call, but their their camera's off or they don't ask questions. I have no idea what the issue is. Uh, I, I feel like for a couple, it's a technology concern because they have to submit their work. Um, I feel like some, it's just they don't have that oversight that they need, you know, because, you know, I, I know kids in a class of 30, there, there would be a few I'd have to constantly mm-hmm. remind, okay, quit playing the game. You haven't done your work yet, you know, so they're at home with some unknown level of supervision, right? And so I think the biggest change is not knowing why a student may not be doing well to help figure out what they need. Mm -hmm. I I think our district has done a good job getting Chromebooks to students. Um, And so they should all have a base level of technology. And I know there's been issues with hotspots they've tried to get out. And hopefully any students that really have problems can, you know, are taking advantage of coming up to campus for that. Yeah. But AISD can only control so many things. They aren't going to control home life or economic situations, anything like that. Exactly. Do you have to adjust your expectations for what kids are going to learn? So I've adjusted my expectations for everybody. Um, You know, I've given three work days so far that I would never do in the regular school year. What do you mean? Is Is that like an open work? Yeah, a day where there's no new assignment, where, you know, I say I'm missing these assignments from these students. Uh, Here I am. It's their day to work. If you're caught up, you can log off the Zoom call and go take care of business. In the regular classroom, uh, I would never have that because I, I know exactly what kids can do in 90 minutes and even if 100% of them aren't there, it's it's not like half of them aren't there, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I've, I've definitely reduced the the quantity of work. I don't think I've changed so much the rigor of the assignments, but definitely just really carefully looking through and saying, is that necessary, right? Is that is that extra? Is that supplemental that a student could do, you know, and just and and just trying to pare it down, you know, to just the essentials. Audrea retooled her curriculum to best meet the challenges and unknowns of online, not only adjusting her lesson content, but also her lesson timing. So I pushed a lot of stuff to the spring, hoping for some improvements in kind of face-to-face instruction and move some stuff up to the front as we get started that's less, it's more conceptual, you know, ethics of engineering and, you know, stuff that we can do without the technology. Mm-hmm. We started, you know, a mechanical design unit where they normally take something apart and, you know, I'll have to figure out a way to get them things. They're not all going to be able to find something at home. Right. So they might have to come up here and pick up something. I usually provide like a little wind-up toy if they don't have their own device. Um, I know Art has done that. And, you know, there have been other programs that have made packets, you know, for kids to come in and get materials. So I'm trying to do the, the less software-intensive stuff up front. Um, my second year, I can't really do that because the whole class is it's basically a class about how do you draw and model designs. So I swap the two semesters so that the fall semester is our architectural work, and we're using SketchUp for schools, oh, okay. so it's cloud-based. And then, at first, we didn't have permission, but now we've been approved at the district for them to use OnShape, which is also cloud-based for th- like mechanical 3D. So at first, they were like, "No, there's privacy issues with the student accounts," you know. But they got it cleared, and so I'll be doing things I would have done in the spring 
in the fall that are cloud-based. And then I will reevaluate in January because I really need to use AutoCAD. And so I will either find a way to get them all AutoCAD. I, I, I've been given some laptops that should run it. So depending on how many students can get it at home versus laptops I have versus kids that are in person, I just don't even know what January is going to look like. Hopefully we'll be able to do the fall curriculum then using the real software, the industry standard software. This is a lot of thinking to make online school work. Melanie in Washington agrees, and she also sees some silver linings to it beyond keeping kids from COVID. I'm finding that like by the end of this year, I hope my curriculum is rock solid. <laughs> like I think I should have all the document, you know, documentation required for me to be able to teach this course to someone else to be able to teach this course, just because mm -hmm. I have to be like so super clear about what it is I'm teaching. So I think that's that's been helpful, just the intentionality of it. And I think the other thing that I like is students getting used to these systems of talking to each other in technology. I think that the tools of, for example, students learning how to navigate channels in an environment that's similar to Slack, that kind of thing will be helpful when we go back to the classroom too. I don't see the tools mm. going away, but I see students being a lot more adept at using the tools. So even though Melanie had to hack professional Microsoft Teams communication software a little bit to make it work for her class, her students are using it. Maybe they'll carry tech knowledge like that with them into the future. It's clear that online school requires a lot of work, and its success could still be unknown. What about in-person school right now? Here's Amy in New Orleans. Definitely a big change for me. I used to plan out a quarter at a time and I would have everything laid out and I would know what my entire quarter was going to look like. And uh, I'm sort of returning to that first year teacher mentality of I'm going to take this a week at a time and not plan ahead too much. Oh, my gosh. Is that stressful? It is. Yes. Um, Oof. It, and yeah. it's stressful. But I'll say I think a lot of teachers had to make tough choices about whether to come back this year. And mm -hmm. in fact, even had a teacher who decided that based on health conditions in her household, she didn't feel like it was safe to come back. And I, I completely understand that. As I was making my decision about what I wanted this year to look like, I really wanted to come back because I knew our students were struggling. You know, it's hard for us as teachers. It's hard for the students as well. And it's very different from what they're used to. And I think especially teenagers need social interaction and they need to be around their peers and, and they were really missing that. And I felt that it was important to me to be able to contribute to them coming back to some degree of normalcy. And now that Amy and the young women in her classes are all in one place again, how does she make that work? In my engineering classes, I like to have lots of collaboration. I can't have students gathered around you know, a common sketch or sharing tools and utensils. And so even though we're in person, I'm still utilizing some technology to help out with that piece. I've found Jamboard is my new best friend. It's worked out really well for giving students the opportunity to collaborate on uh, something, especially, you know, sort of idea generating, which is so important for engineering projects. 
so they can collaborate and move things around and be drawing and adding notes, but not all touching the same thing. And so I'll even have students physically in class, but collaborating together electronically on a Jamboard. And as for hands-on activities, like building engineering prototypes? I'm fortunate that I have fairly small classes, and so they're just spreading out working independently on things that they are building. And so they'll they'll look across and they'll see what other people are doing. And I definitely see those ideas mixing, but physical things are not mixing. You know, we're sanitizing hot glue guns in between uses and as much as possible, just keeping, you know, a set of utensils for this person and a set of tools for this person and, and trying not to have too much sharing of those those items. Then there are comparable measures in Teddy's rural district and their science classes. Like our lab tables, that's a perfect place that we would put, um, that we have put desk shields. Um, And so the kids are literally right across from one another, but they have a protective barrier between them that they can still see their partner across the table. Um, And also, too, where, you know, they have a face covering on as well. So we're kind of double protected. Um, And then every kid gets their own supplies on their side of the table. So it's kind of a, it's more of a, instead of a group activity, it's group, but everybody has their individual supplies and things like that. You know, the workload of teachers has definitely increased, but it's, what it does is it just takes a little bit more planning and a little bit more, okay, we need to do it from from this angle. This is how we're going to have to do it to maintain safety in this class. Teddy explained how his local public health authority was critical to helping his district make all these detailed decisions of how to run in-person school right now. Bell County Public Health met with him and other regional superintendents regularly. They had to work together to figure this out. No superintendent was really prepared for what happened with this pandemic, and this this really did just level the playing field because... You have superintendents who just took a job uh, one day before the pandemic hit, and you have people that were superintendents for a year, and then you had people that were superintendents for 10 or 20 years, but nothing really prepared us. And so um, it really did level the playing field for every superintendent in the state of Texas. Like Amy, Teddy was doing all this work for the well-being of his students. Being home for six months, I think when they came back, there wasn't one kid that was upset about being at school. I think they were just super pumped to be at school and have the opportunity to come to a school. You know, we we, uh, we do have about um, 86% economically disadvantaged um, families in our community. And so just being able to uh, probably get into a new environment and get in school um, and, and be around some peers and be around some mentors and some leaders and some teachers. And, um, and we, we feed kids and uh, three meals a day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner here. And so we also do feed our remote learners as well. We have pickup times for those kids. But, you know, I think just being a part of something else like a football team or a volleyball team or a cross country or UIL and getting back to class where a teacher's going to push me and really tutor me and, and tell me you can do it and that kind of thing. Um, I just really think they're super excited to be here and they don't mind wearing face coverings. I haven't had one, one student say, I can't wear this. You know, we've got one face covering for every kid for every day of school. So we're, if they don't come with one, we've got them ready to go. Yeah, they're, they're excited to be here. And, um, and I think that's also why more kids are coming from remote. So and if they want to come, we're allowing them to because I really do think that, that we just need to have the kids. If, I would prefer that they come to school because we're going to capture them where they are. And, we're, and, we're, and something about just having them there in front of you and teaching them and, and, 
and tutoring them and, and meeting them where they're at and filling those gaps with learning. Those learning gaps is so important. When we come back after a short break, here are some of these four educators' long-term wants and wishes over this school year. Hey, it's Pius again. I've made a new, free, educational web app called Coordinates. It makes math more musical. As listeners of this podcast, you're invited to try out my beta. Check the link in the show notes. Did you ever want to hear what a tangent function sounds like on the piano? It sounds like this. I think that's so weird and cool. So try out coordinates when you want to make equations audible. In math class, online, at home making music, wherever. I programmed it, all thanks to generous supporters of this show who donate to my studio on Patreon. You are awesome. So awesome, in fact, that donors to this show get to hear the extended, long interviews with each of my guests in this episode. Donate today to listen. But back to the app. Check it out at pioslabs.com slash coordinates. That's P-I-O-S-L-A-B-S dot com slash C-H-O-R-D-I-N-A-T-E-S. Make math musical with coordinates. As of October 2020, reports are saying the COVID pandemic may remain in the U.S. without a vaccine until around the spring of 2021 or longer. What do our educators want long-term, then, beyond this semester? In the case of entrepreneurship teacher Melanie Kong, she continues to not want something. Grading. I am not someone for grading, period. And actually, for the past three years in this course, my grading policy was every kid has an A. And this wow. year, okay. the policy where students self-grade. And there's a lot of rationale I can get into here, but the short form of it is that grades often stop the learning and it stops the learning conversation because, you know, students see a number and then they like either if it's a high achieving student, they they um, become complacent. If it's a, a struggling student, they become unmotivated. And regardless, like the number doesn't actually help communicate things about the learning. So I've had like a no grades policy for a while. So in terms of how um, what assessing them on their technology looks like, it comes up often in their own reflections when they're talking about teamwork. So when students are reflecting on their own teamwork, they say things like, oh, you know, I realized that we needed to set up better systems for communicating with each other because what we used wasn't accessible to everyone. So in the future, I would do this. That might make a lot of sense, especially given how hard it's been to connect with students who are 100% online. Long term, Melanie also has a complicated optimism in her fellow teachers. So I think teachers are managing... Um, I know that teachers are getting burned out a lot faster than in previous years. I think similar to me, you know, teachers have been able to manage and are finding unexpected perks. Like I think like everyone's going to come out of this being a better teacher. Just hopefully they'll still have the energy for it. 
Then we have Audrea Moyers again, who's in that in-between stage of doing both sort of online and sort of in-school engineering and CAD classes. She's felt okay about online instruction and could see doing it long-term, but she knows there are a variety of views on this. I feel confident. I feel safe. The way it's enacted, I spend my whole day in my classroom with my windows open and my mask off teaching with my door locked and nobody... Nobody came and bothered me. I really barely saw anybody unless I left to go do something. But I do know that we have a lot of teachers that are that are, feel unsafe. And we have uh, some that, that were given accommodations to stay at home and are still at home. And others that weren't, but our campus administration has kept them out of learning groups and, and has let them stay in their room, you know, that my next door neighbor uh, has a, a high risk person at home. And so, you know, she herself is fine, but she doesn't want to be in a learning group and just risk that much that she might be taking home. So our campus, because our our percentage of students that want to come back is low enough, we can do this. Not every teacher has to be in a learning group. And so they've been able to really isolate you know, a small group of people that are going to share a physical space. And so uh, I feel like after seeing it this week that there's a little bit more sense of security about it. It's, I think it's been enacted very well at my campus. For Superintendent Teddy Clevenger, he wants his students in school, in person, safely. But that doesn't automatically make up for the lost months of education last spring so maybe Texas should take that into account this year when doing state testing. This year, more than any, I think there needs to be a little bit of grace and mercy extended to school districts and administration and, and students because in light of, uh, of uh, the, the huge possible gap in learning that kids are going to have from being at home from March until September. And I know remote learning is good, but it's not as good as having that teacher right there with you. And, and it's just not the best case scenario. If you're talking about learning and getting better, it's just not the best case scenario for like a kindergarten student, you know, or a third grader, especially when reading is so important and you're trying to teach vocabulary and you're trying to trying to teach kids fluency. I do think we need a benchmark. So a standardized test would be fine. I would be fine with the standardized test, but I do hope that TEA, the commissioner of Texas, does extend us some grace this year. Maybe kind of change the A through F system, maybe to maybe just a met standard this year for one year just to kind of give us a chance to catch our kids up um, because I, I do think an A through F rating right now is going to deflate any kind of growth or positive things going on in school districts. You know, if you are doing everything you can to catch your kids up and you're trying to meet kids where they are and you're literally just doing everything you can set up to send down for these for the children and then you get an F rating because you missed it by just a few points. It's just going to deflate that school, deflate the community, and it's going to—it's basically going to cut, undercut and cut the legs out from that school district. Um, but if they extended to some grace and said, "Okay, we see that you're working hard here, here, and here," you know, this year you're a met—that's you know, you're a met standard school. You're doing—you're meeting all the requirements. But the, the following year, maybe we re-implement the A through F system. Now we get back to Amy Morris. She summed up a commonly expressed feeling. I think I've been supported very well. I think what I need is um, an extra day in the week <laughs> to try to get it all. Oh my gosh! So, so you aren't really you aren't kidding. You're doing a lot more work than normal. 
Yes. Okay. Um, and yeah, some of it is, uh, again, because we've had some teachers that opted not to come back. Um, I have eight preps right now. So wow. um, yeah, just that would have never happened in a normal circumstance. And so extra classes plus extra work just to, to get things done definitely is um, a stronger workload. I asked Amy if she could keep this up. Um, I, I think I can do this for the long term. I think I'm in a very fortunate situation where I am physically in my classroom. I think that's easier than, than doing this online. I'm also, while I'm a parent, my child is 17 years old, so he's managing his own stuff just fine. Um, I really right now worry a lot about younger teachers who are newer at this and have younger families and other family responsibilities. I worry about older teachers who are caring for uh, older family members. You know, I I think I'm very, very lucky where I am, but um, there's definitely a lot of people that the the teaching is only part of it. You know, there's this whole other, other things going on in people's lives that would require additional support. And so in terms of, you know, could we do this for another two or three years? I think there would have to be major changes to our expectations if we were going to continue this for that long. Through the end of this school year, I I think we're we're just gonna keep putting one foot in front of the other until we get through it. Um, Is there anything you think that the general public should know that maybe they don't know about how classes are going these days? (laughs) I would say that everyone is doing their best. (laughs) Students are doing their best and teachers are doing their best. And like, I think that my biggest concern about all of this is like not how students are learning individually, but just like, are they going to be okay at the end of the day? (laughs) You know, are they going to be are they going to feel emotionally healthy? You know, are they going to be able to get through this? And I think that the learning itself will come. I just, like, if we can just focus on keeping kids healthy and sane, that would be great. I just think, you know, we went through this period in the spring where everyone was just in love with teachers because the parents suddenly had their kids at home all day and were trying to 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 do schoolwork with them and then when it came time to go back to work and teachers were resisting being unsafe suddenly right uh, there was a a vocal group that was became very anti-teacher like um we just want our jobs to be easier, like as though it's easier to teach online. And it's, it's so much harder. Um, not just like emotionally, like none of us signed up to look at a screen with 30 little black rectangles where there ought to be students, mm-hmm. students yep. present. I know exactly none of us, none yeah. of us chose that, but just the, the logistics, I have to turn three courses that are meant to be hands-on software based daily into a a format that uses different software and can't be hands-on so just just the 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 work of converting right everything that we do uh it's a lot of work and so just asking the public for you know grace for teachers you know to that it's not easier we want to go back but we also don't want to endanger ourselves to go back i want everyone to know that uh 
Um, we offer a great place that's safe for kids to learn. In some cases, kids are safer here at school than in other places that they would be all day long, um, whether they would be um, at home or um, at a friend's house or at grandma's house or at uncle's house or going to the mall or going to the... I think that we offer a really controlled, safe environment uh, where we do mandate district-wide face coverings, where we do mandate that we wash our hands and socially distance. Um, but it's also a safe place where kids are learning to read and write and to do math skills and um, a place where the kids can still participate and be and participate in a safe environment. And so that's what I want to, I want everyone to understand that. And for the most part in Bell County, I meet with those superintendents and I meet with Williamson County uh, superintendents, um, you know, right on 95 and right on I-35 and uh, some other highways um, east of us. Um, there's a, there's a cluster of uh, school districts that I can say that the same thing's going on in their schools. They're safe and, um, and, and they've got a great place for kids to come and learn. And so I just want people to know that um, if you're on the fence of whether you want to send your kids to school or keep them home, I just hope that um, they would have the confidence to send them to school um, and give it a chance. All in all, I just am very happy that our, that our school doors are open, that we are having school, that school is in session. That's what I'd like everybody to know, that, you know, that we, we, we provide a safe place for kids to learn this year. We always do, but you know, in the midst of a pandemic, we still can offer that safe place for kids. I've seen a lot of criticism of teachers who are concerned about their safety, and that saddens me because what I know from teachers is that they desperately want to do whatever they can to help children succeed, and they need support in order to make that happen. Thank you to the four educators who spoke to me for this episode, Audrea Moyers, Melanie Kong, Teddy Clevenger, and Amy Morris. Long interviews with each of these dedicated educators are available exclusively to donors on Patreon. If you would like to donate and listen to these extended interviews too, just become a dollar monthly patron of Pios Labs on Patreon. To donate, go to patreon.com slash Labs. Find the link in the show notes. The K-12 Engineering Education Podcast is sponsored by my studio, Pios Labs, in Austin, Texas, and also by the Engineer's Guide to Improv and Art Games, available through Amazon and other booksellers. As I mentioned earlier, this show is also made possible by supportive individuals donating to the show on Patreon. Help me continue the podcast by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash Labs. Visit the podcast website for show notes, links, transcripts, and more. Go to k12engineering.net. That website again is k12engineering.net. Until next time, take care. All right, it is Pius again with the post-show notes. I've got four things I want to mention right now. Number one. My colleague, Rachel Farrig, who's also a sometimes co-host for this podcast, uh, my colleague and I are working together to submit a session to South by Southwest EDU 2021. If you've been following South by, it's going to be all online the next uh, time we do it. And that's, of course, because of COVID. We want to be safer. And it's just logistically uh, a little less risky. And we submitted a session on their panel picker. 
It's all about that coordinates app that you may have heard in the middle of this episode. So I made that app that lets you hear what a quadratic equation sounds like when you play it on the piano, for example, um, among other things. And I would like to share that. Rachel and I are going to work together to give you an introduction to algebra and graphing and music theory. And besides experiencing that lesson, we'd like to brainstorm with you how you could use this free online tool yourself for teaching math or music or just playing around. It's awesome. So we would love your vote on the South by Southwest panel picker, which is going to come out. Number two. Rachel and I were having a discussion uh, about having a future episode or episodes on this podcast about education reform. What education reforms would we like to see and would you like to see over the next, say, two to five years in this country, in the world, in your town, in your experience, um, in your public school system, in your private school system? What are those higher level changes you want to see. Maybe they're political changes, legal changes, policy changes. Maybe they're changes to how we prepare and train teachers. Maybe they're changes to other aspects of STEM education or testing. If you got opinions, uh, feel free to contact us on our Twitters. You can always email info at k12engineering.net and maybe we can get the conversation started again on this podcast. Number three, I already mentioned the coordinates app like twice, and the only thing I had to add is it's not done. I want feedback on it. If you go to the website, pioslabs.com slash coordinates, chord like musical chord, and you look on the lower right corner on the bottom, there's a little button that says give me feedback or I've got feedback, something like that. And if you click it, you can fill out a form to let me know, hey, what do you like or not like about this app? And that would be spectacular if you could fill that out and let me know how to improve my coordinates uh, app for more musical math. And finally, the fourth thing I wanted to say is I created an Alexa skill, just playing around. If you have an Alexa, like that smart speaker uh, powered by Amazon, well, you can run the command launch engineering word um, and it should give you an engineering word like this. Alexa, load engineering word. Here's your engineering word, SWE. This acronym, S-W-E, is commonly pronounced SWE. It stands for the Society of Women Engineers, and it is a leading... Hopefully this podcast episode did not trigger your own Alexa. I'm sorry if it did, but in any case... This Alexa skill is supposed to give you an engineering word and give you a definition real quick. And it also reminds you that you can hear more about my rantings about these engineering words on the Engineering Word of the Day podcast. Um, so that's it. If you got an Alexa, check it out. And those were my four things in the post-show notes. Thanks for listening this far. Don't forget to check out and support all that stuff that I'm doing in my studio, Pios Labs. <laughs>